Might help if I turn my mic on. Uh, little internal business here. Uh, those of you joining us via the live stream, welcome. Uh, this might seem like you're reading someone else's mail here for a second uh, because you join us via the internet. Uh, we're going to talk about another service that we're starting local, but you might want to listen up, especially if you're 30 or under. Uh, if you want to find out more, find this sheet. It's at the Welcome Centers in the community news little place where we put stuff. Uh, but basically, here's what it is. Um, this church is going to start in January after the Passion Trip, a fourth service. The fourth service is uh, start at 1030. It'll go till about noon. Uh, and it, it's something this, this church has been committed to, especially with the leadership, the executive team, um, for a couple of years now has been saying we, we need to make sure that we are not one of those churches that falls to statistics that tell us that every, everyone who's a millennial or who's in a, there's a new generation that's kind of a tweener between the extras and the millennials, that, that the statistics say they're leaving the church and they're not coming back. And part of the reason is that the church doesn't want to adapt to an authentic uh, expression of worship for those folks. So we're, we're, we're working on it. And we've got a group of people, staff, all the younger staff, have put time, energy, debate, arguments, and decisions into this. And we put a little money into it. And we're going to start this fourth service in the uh, original sanctuary, which we call the Mosaic. So we're going to be updating the carpet, uh, some sound equipment and acoustical treatments, that kind of thing. Now, if you're kind of going, well, why? We still have seats here. Let me just put it to you this way. 20 years ago-ish, a group of you said that the music and the expression of worship that your parents love isn't authentic or isn't indigenous to you, and this kind of came out of that. So I hate to tell you, <laughs> but we're old. So I'll put it to you this way. Who, who's kind of, it's not a, you know, we're not checking IDs at the door, but, but there's kind of an age um, idea. It's more of a mindset. So if you were, a, I'll use music here. If you were a rocker and you know, you knew Ozzy when Ozzy was young or Tom Petty or Zeppelin or even Marillion, then, then this probably isn't for you. If you, um, Alan Parsons, probably not for you. Phil Collins' Genesis, probably not for you. Toad the Wet Sprocket, Hootie and the Blowfish, maybe, maybe, okay? Or in Christian terms, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, definitely not for you, okay? If, if uh, I'm trying to think here, um, I can't remember the name of the, the group that does the, uh, the, the Agnus Day and the new song that you just sanctified Third day, third, maybe, maybe, probably not. Chris Rice, nah. but if you're hearing those, those, those artists and you don't know who they are, probably for you, okay? <laughs> so um, we put some money into it and we're gonna be spending some money over the next couple of, uh, mon- or, uh, next couple of months and those things weren't, those weren't monies that were budgeted so there will be one area of our operational budget that's gonna go over this year because of this. What I love about this church is that we, we're always looking forward and we make decisions based on where we believe God is leading us, not on what, who we're afraid we're going to upset. So this is not to be confused with the new church plant that Nate and a group of people that will be, will be sending them off-site. But we don't want to take folks and send them off-site and then leave us with a void. We want to be doing here and there. Now, the other thing I want to mention, just to give you a heads up in advance, the first round of the proposed budget for next year, the ministry budget, if you were to get a copy of that right now, which you can't 
because we know it'll freak everybody out. You'll, you'll read this thing, and, you, and we haven't made all the decisions in the cuts yet, but, but it looks like a huge increase, primarily because of the new church plant. There's equipment, there's startup costs, there's salaries, there's all that kind of stuff. But already, I mean, we announced Nate as the new church planter um, just three or four weeks ago, and already there's between ninety dollars and $115,000 pledged and or in the bank to cover the cost of that. So when you see the budget, we only show the expenses. We don't show the income, but rest assured, this is something God is leading us to, and you cannot outrun God's provision. So FYI, look for one of these sheets. Well, those are my quotes. Look for one of these sheets. If you're, if, if, here's another way of saying whether you know it's for you or not. If you read this thing and you have trouble with the dark in the dark, <laughs> not for you. Okay? All right, I'm going to say a prayer. We'll get to Colossians 3. I love, I, it's not often that I say that I love a message. Um, I'm, I'm not telling you that you will, but I do, what, what, what God has done this week in the experiences that I've had and uh, the, the work that's been done on this particular passage, I'm really excited to bring to you today what I am absolutely certain God wants to say today. So um, I might get a little fast. If, if, it gets, if, I'm, if I'm speaking faster than I can think, raise your hand and I'll slow down. But I'm, this one I'm pretty excited about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and his transformation and his willingness to minister to a group of people that he had never even met. Lord, I'm asking that you speak to your people today. These are, again, people that Paul has never met, but he still has things to say to us. Lord, I don't want this to be my message for your people. I desperately want it to be your message for us. So give us ears to hear what you're saying, eyes to see what you're showing. And Lord, if there's something I plan to say you don't want said, I don't want to say it. Convict me of it, but don't let me say it. And Lord, if there's something that hasn't come up in prayer and preparation and study, but that you want said today, I'll say it, but make it abundantly and undeniably clear that it is what you want said to your people. Lord, we bless you for what you're about to do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. A um, little background on Colossians. I know many of you have been here. I, I, I've seen some people that, I, I mean, I know there's, there's, there's three people here that haven't heard any of this. So just a little bit of background on Colossians. Colossa was a church, is a, is a city that used to be a big deal it, right before kind of Paul's age. But in that 50 or 60 years, either just prior to this or during this time, it had kind of been replaced by Laodicea and a couple of others. So it had been a big deal of this kind of a, this, this, this place where trade happened and, and cultures came together, and it had gone from being kind of a top-tier city to being third or fourth in the, in the region. So Paul did not plant this church. His friend and brother in Christ, Epaphras, or Epaphras, some think that it's Epaphroditus that we hear about other places, but we don't know that for sure. So um, Epaphras or Epaphras had, had, had planted this church, and what's going on here is, and I back away because it's not specifically scriptural, it's more historical, um, historical work. There were Jewish people who became Christian. There were pagan people or non-Jewish people or Gentile people who had become Christian. There were Greeks and Romans and Scythians and barbarians had all become Christians that are in their church. 
But what the natural tendency of people is that you want to bring who you were into who you are. If there's something new, like for instance, if, if you started, a, if, if you got married and you started a new Christmas tradition, it's probably going to look a little bit like your two family of origins, those two, those two traditions kind of mixed together. Um, the idea of starting something brand new with no context is, is kind of foreign to humanity. So the Jews were trying to communicate that the Christians needed to become more Jewish in order to really be Christian. The people who had been in all kinds of other, some demonic, some other godly stuff, some, some these other religions, they were kind of saying, well, no, you need to be more like this, and we'll just grab those things and make them part of Christianity. And Paul is saying, no. He's trying to remind them that they are more than they used to be. He's trying to remind them that they have become something new and that they, he's trying to encourage them to continue to become who they already are, but to give up old allegiances, to give up old, um, old ways of life and to claim the purity and the faithfulness and the righteousness that comes from Christ and not to be distracted by all these other things. So I'm going to read it, but I want you to listen for a couple of things. Paul is trying to tell them there's no more of this, this, and this, and this. No more Jew or Greek or circumcised or uncircumcised or Scythian or barbarian. Or, there's no more. That's gone. And he's trying to say, here's how you used to behave. Don't do that anymore. Here's what you used to have allegiance to. Don't do that anymore because this is who God has made you. So listen there, and then I'll give you some, hopefully, some, some illustrations that, that, that really, that, you'll see. Here's, the, here's a quote I want you thinking about when we're reading this. Bill Johnson says, at some point, we're going to have to be convinced of our conversion. If we are indeed new in Christ, some point, we're going to have to act like that's true. Keep that in mind as you hear this. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Notice it doesn't say, since you are one day going to be raised with Christ. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, a couple of things. In, in Paul's time... Mind is mind. It's your thought. It's your thought process. Heart is not only where your affections are, but it's where your will is. So Paul is saying, think about things above, and your will and your affections should be put on things above. It's kind of like when he says in, another, in one of his other books, he says, whatever is good or right or noble, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's, he's telling us that to allow our minds to be transformed by focusing on the things that we already are, the people that we already are, the things of God. And here's, I got to tell you, there's this little spot, and Lynn, my wife, helped me figure this out a little bit just last night. Um, I've been confused since 1985. I was a, I've been a Christian since 81. I sat down uh, when I was in, in, in college. I was a religion minor, ended up being a religion major, but a religion minor, and I had to do an internship. And Mark Stacy was the area director for Young Life in Grand Rapids, and I was working at the Young Life Club in Granville and then at Forest Hills. And Mark was my mentor 
as a, you know, as an intern, and he was walking me through discipleship and ministry, and, and, and he walked me through the book of Colossians. And I'm prob- it's probably the first time in my life that I read the book. And there were some things that I was discovering, like the idea that all things are sustained by Christ. I always thought of that just as the Father, but the Son, and that the Son is co-eternal. Now, this is years and years and years ago, but I just remember these, these things popping into my head and, me a- and asking Mark questions and, and kind of being flummoxed and exhilarated by, wow, there's so much more here than I thought. But this thing, this little thing, it says that you, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. No idea what that means. Why is it hidden? And so I'm telling Lynn this last night, we're driving back from Grand Haven, and, and I'm like, this is the thing. I, it, she pulled up the scripture, because she was asking, you know, what are you saying tomorrow, how things are going, uh, and what do you, what's your hook, what do you, and, and I, there's this one little thing that kind of bothers me, and she, she reminded me of something that, that God revealed to her about her. So I'm going to share this with you. You know how an oyster is made, uh, excuse me, a pearl is made? A grain of sand gets in that meaty part of an oyster, and what does the oyster do? It, it, it kind of sees it as a foreign body and it starts to form stuff around it, right? So as soon as one coating of that, 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 that form stuff around it begins, one time, one, one little micron of, of film, it's no longer a grain of sand, it's now an oyster. So, or excuse me, a pearl, thank you, my wife. Poor, I got this oyster thing in my head. I need a few oysters. Um, <laughs> if you open that oyster you would probably not notice the grain of sand. But it is, the grain of sand is already a pearl. You just can't see it yet. So if you're hidden in Christ, with God in Christ, it's not, we're not saying that you're an irritant. That's not it. But what you were is no longer what you are. And what you are is something of great value that God is making of you. You're already a pearl, So don't think of yourself as a grain of sand because you've been hidden with God in Christ. And he keeps going. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. By the way, that word is pornea. Every time in the New Testament, sexual immorality comes up. it's, It's talking about a word, pornea, and that's a reference back to Leviticus. And it means all of the things that Leviticus talks about, not just one or two. So just FYI. So it said, put to death, so kill it. Whatever was old, the sand, kill it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now... You must rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, not not has already been renewed and not will be renewed one day. You're in the present and ongoing state of having been renewed. You already are, and you're not done. You're already a pearl, but no one can see it yet. It's kind of like with Jesus when we, when on Easter, we say, he is risen. And then everyone says, he is risen indeed. We don't say he rose. We sing he rose, he rose. But he is risen. He's in the present and ongoing state of already having been risen. But it doesn't change once he's, once he's been risen. He's not no longer risen. So you're being renewed. 
but you're in the present and ongoing state of having been renewed, being renewed, and will always be being renewed. Really bad grammar. But this is a tense in the, in the Greek that we don't have in the English. The present and ongoing state of having been renewed. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and the practices that you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy, the word there is H-O-L-Y, not W-H-O-L-L-Y. You're, you're, whole, you're, set, you're set apart. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Paul's not naive. He knows there's going to be trouble. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together, in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's some great stuff in there, and it's so hard to understand because it, part of it sounds legalistic. Put to death this. Rid yourself of this. If you just clean yourself up, then you're ready for God's bath. But let's think of it like allegiances. Let's think of it like affections. Do you think that Paul, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament, sometime when he's out there in front of, of people, do you think that Paul ever stands up there and goes, as he's proclaiming the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, you think he ever has this little thought in his head like, I want to kill me some Christians. Because that's what Paul used to do. Paul used to be a persecutor of Christians. And then he had an encounter with Christ. And he had his training in Christ. And now he's out there. He became the very thing he used to be against. But now he's against the very thing he used to be. Paul's allegiances and affections used to be for the Jewish people and for the traditions and the faithfulness to the law. And now his allegiances and his affections are for the gospel of grace and the ministry of reconciliation that is in, from, and for Christ. So Paul doesn't think, man, I want to kill me some Christians. That's the old. That's the stuff that we're told we're supposed to kill. Not kill people, but kill the old self, the old allegiances, the old desires, the old, the old tribes that we used to be a part of. On Thursday, I was, I was sitting with, I, I meet with a group of pastors on Thursday mornings, and um, a pastor that meets with someone else at the same place, he stepped into our room and he's talking, and, and somehow it came up, Hope College, that's where I had gone to school, and, and he, he kind of looked and goes, you know, it's kind of a remarkable transformation. I'm like what? He goes, with you. You know, I wasn't that big a jerk back then. I mean, I was kind of offended. But in reality, it is a remarkable transformation. Who I used to be about was me. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What am I about now? 
I'm not fraternity brother at Hope College. I'm a minister of the gospel of reconciliation. I shouldn't want to be that young man anymore. I shouldn't have affections toward it. I shouldn't have desires for it. I'm supposed to kill that old and be renewed. And so are you. That's what Paul's getting at. When he talks about clothe yourselves with Therefore, it's God's chosen people. He's, he's telling the, the, the Christians, whether they're Jew or not, that they are the chosen. The Jews used to call themselves, we are the chosen people of God. We are the ones that he is, and we're a beacon to the world, and, and we're his favorite, and he loves us most. And Paul's trying to say, and they were trying to tell the Christians they need to be more like that. And Paul goes, you're chosen. You're dearly loved. And you've been made holy, not by some, not something on your own, but what God has done. And then he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. What does it mean? What does that clothe your... You've seen baseball players, football players, maybe you're a... So I don't watch much in the way of sports, but um, when, when, when someone who was a star somewhere, say they played for the Tigers, and then they go and they get traded to the Cubs... That first time that person comes back, do the Cubs and the Tigers play each other? They No? Have no idea. See, I know nothing. You, you get the illustration. And they come back, and when they walk out on the field, they announce them. Why? Because he used to be one of us, and now he's not. But what if that guy who's now playing for the Cubs decides that I'm going to throw the game for the Tigers? Is that right or noble or good? No, because his allegiances are now with something new and not with something old. Now, some of you who are older, I'm going to give you a picture. I'm speaking metaphorically. I've never been engaged to be married to anyone other than my wife. But we had an awkward moment last night. I ran into an old girl. Well, we went on a date. I really liked her. So last night, Last night, I ran into this person at the spot that I had been on that date with her. So it was just a little, and, and so it was like collision of worlds. You know, I don't, I don't like it when someone comes that I went to high school with or early college with that comes here and hears me preach because I know what they're thinking. Are you most likely to be arrested? Who do you think you are? But I'm not who I was. I'm who God has made me. So metaphorically speaking, let's say that when you were younger, some of you who are, who are old enough to have had situations like this, say that you had dated someone very seriously for years. High school sweetheart, maybe you're young adults now, you're engaged. You're going to get married in about six months. And you love her and she loves you. You're planning the wedding and something happens. Maybe you made a mistake Maybe there's a family's get involved. Maybe there's an illness in the family. And so, so your fiance has to devote their attention somewhere else. And, and maybe there's a job offer and you move across and you grow apart and you just, you cancel the engagement. And over the next six, eight to eight, or six to 12 to 18 months, you meet someone new. You fall in love. He or she, depending on, I'm speaking from a man's perspective, she finds someone who falls in love, and you get, you get married to other people. You have been pledged to each other. And then, by circumstance and happenstance, you end up living in the same spot, living in the same city, going to the same church. 
Now that first day, when you are in the commons area and you see your former fiance with her or his husband or wife, and you're with yours, that little thing in your stomach. Because maybe you haven't told your spouse just how serious that was or whatever it might be, but there's that weird, like, this is my um, or uh, um, or, or umer, a wife. You know, why? Why would that be awkward? I mean, it'd be an awkward and pretty good movie, I guess, but why would that be awkward? It's possible that some of your affections still belong to another and not to the one you promised to forsake all others for. We do that with God. My mind and my will and my affections and loyalties, I have to put the old ones to death. I have to be convinced of my conversion. I have to recognize that I belong body and soul to something other than what I used to belong to. I'm no longer a grain of sand. I'm now a pearl. I shouldn't have felt any awkwardness seeing a girl that I'd once gone on a date with last night. But there was just that moment of, you know, (laughs) just a moment. Made for a funny story when I got home. But if you are in Christ... Kill the old stuff. Burn it. Throw it away. We don't get to behave like we're not holy and dearly loved. You're already a new creation. You're already a saint. So i got to take off my fraternity letters and put on the priestly garb. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I'm a saint. And if I'm a saint of God, then I need to clothe myself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. I need to to forgive grievances. I need to be transformed not only in my thoughts, in my behavior, but I need to be transformed in, in what I'm willing to endure on behalf of Christ. He was shamed. He was beaten. He was crucified so that I don't ever have to be offended again. Why should I be offended when someone recognizes the work that God has done in my life? Like, well, wow, who you were? That's a huge transformation. Well, I wasn't that big of a jerk. Yeah, it kind of was. I should be thrilled with gratitude in my heart to God that he has indeed continued the good work that he began in me. I am holy and dearly loved. And so are you. Is God dearly loved by you? If he is, then kill that other stuff. Because Paul would never think, I want to kill me some Christians. Because he's not who he was. And neither are you. And one of the ways you know where your affections are, and loyalties, what uniform you're wearing, is by the things that you fantasize about, or the things that occupy your mind space, or if you say, I know I'm not supposed to, I know I'm supposed to, I still want, I still want, I still want, 
That's a battle between your mind and your will. And we all fight that battle. But we've been told that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? But against the principalities and the authority. The, the, the spiritual things want to defeat us. There's a guy that has a quote. It says, when you avoid the battle you were born for, you'll face a battle that you're not equipped for. What battle were we reborn for? To fight against the very thing that wants to make us angry, judgmental, useless, and bitter in the culture around us. How are we perceived by the culture around us? Angry, judgmental, maybe a little not very enlightened. And how do we respond to that? You can't say that. That's judgmental. See how we do it? We become the very thing that people say we are instead of become the very thing that God says we are. Our job, our calling, God's desire for us is that we become the men, the women, the people, the church that we already are. I'm going to read it again. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. And where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died. It's dead. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're not a grain of sand. And when God, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So, put to death whatever belongs to the earth. If it's going to burn, burn it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have, been ta- since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, There's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all. Christ is all and is in all. And I'm going to pause just for a second. There's there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Okay, the Jews, there were two types of people in the world. Jews, non-Jews. They called them goyim, Gentile. There's the in, there's the out. There's the people that matter and everybody else. To the Greeks, there were two types of people in the world. Greeks and barbarians. Not brutal barbarians. We, we have that has a connotation of brutality now. It's not it. There were Greeks and then there were un, the unsophisticated masses everywhere else. And the Scythians were a Mongol from the Mongolian area. The Mongol nomadic tribe that had moved from, the, from, from up in the upper north and had moved south and east or south and west. And everyone knew them, but they were completely unsophisticated. They didn't understand the, the, um, the, the customs or the rules of civilized, Hellenized society. 
And somehow, someway, all of the slave and free, they all got merged into this motley crew called God's people, the church. So Paul today could say something like, here, there is no Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, communist, socialist, or libertarian. There is no Nigerian or North Korean. There's no Cuban or American or Canadian. There is no Chinese or Vietnamese or Laotian. So we all have a tendency to gravitate toward people like us. And we like that. And I'm not, Paul's not condemning it because that's where culture comes from. But when you look up, how you see someone else tells you where your affections are, where your loyalties are, and whether your mind and heart have been renewed or not. So if you see others as enemies instead of as children of God, as, as unsophisticated and non-thinking and uneducated instead of children of God who have been renewed by the transformation of their mind, it tells you something. Tribalism will never unify people. The only institution, the only, the only thought process, the only worldview that can unite all people is the church. And so Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, put on the right uniform with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly. If you don't feel peace, I'm going to tell you that you've given it away. Because peace cannot be stolen without your consent. You willingly yield it up. You decide that what someone else thinks or someone else says or someone else believes is an offense to you. And so you get angry and bitter, frustrated and offended. But if you are in Christ, let the peace of Christ dwell in you richly because he's already suffered the offense. He's already been the scapegoat. He's already the one who says, I have done this for you. You need not feel offense. You need not return evil with evil. You need not do anything other than pray for those who persecute you and love those who want harm to come to you. Don't consider yourself more important than another, but instead lift others up. He wants to change the world and take it. It's upside down and broken. And he wants to flip it right side up and straighten it out and show the world how much he loves them. And he chooses to use you and I. So, do we want to kill us some Christians? Or do we want to be ministers of the gospel of reconciliation? Are we a grain of sand? Or are we something beautiful and valuable? Folks, please, consider becoming who you already are. A saint of God, holy and dearly loved. And if you're holy and dearly loved, love him back.
because he is the holy other who deserves our affection, our loyalty, and our worship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thanks for Paul, his wisdom, his cultural understanding, and his transformation. Lord, I bless you that you took a man who used to kill believers and made him one. The one who used to be beaten later got beaten. Lord, what you're capable of doing is just remarkable. So we ask that you give us the courage to ask you to search our hearts and show us if our affections are still on grains of sand. And if so, Lord, turn our minds and hearts to that pearl, to that beauty, to the things above. Lord, as we worship, we sing, and as we pick up our children and we go home, remind us, remind us, Lord, to become who we already are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look, Paul, Paul's not naive. He knows that walking in Christ, being a Christian, being a part of God's people and those allegiances that have changed, it's hard. And you're going to take some shots. He knows it. He's, it's happened to him. But taking shots for the gospel, you know that the disciples, the early church, that they, when they would get beat up or, 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 or whipped, they would, they would thank God for being declared worthy to suffer for his name. What? Why? Because everything has changed. They're not a grain of sand. They're a pearl. They're forsaking all rights to their own glory in order to give glory to God. Let us be a people who's not looking for purple hearts in the service of the Lord, but when we receive them, we understand who's pinning that medal on our chest. It's Christ. And he's saying, you're mine. And I will not forsake you. And way to go not forsaken me. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. You know, I say this every week. But God's countenance, that's the look on someone's face. And God smiles at his holy and dearly loved people. And he will give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.